0: Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly.
1: There has not been adjudication of any guilt.
0: The case of Marcus Wilson versus the Stand Your Ground Law. Why one Georgia man's claim of self defense is under fire. And is the law more biased than just? It's more normalized that you can be in fear of a black person just because they're black. Then, the bold case to legalize marijuana at the federal level.
2: We need to make sure that the education is happening, that folks know about this.
0: What will that look like from one unapologetic political hopeful pushing
3: for the legislation?
2: Jesse, how does it feel to be free? Jesse
3: Smollett out of jail and into the studio. What his new track is saying about his innocence.
4: I think I'm stupid enough to keep my reputation.
0: Plus, monogamy or not.
4: I am satisfied mentally, physically, financially.
0: How the black community is putting a new twist on hooking up and
4: marriage. You're opening yourself up to individual multiple relationships.
3: All that and more as...
4: The Black News Revolution starts right now.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Naima Abdullahi. We're kicking things off with the case of 21-year-old Marcus Wilson. He's the Georgia man charged with killing a 17-year-old white teenager. He claims the shooting was in self-defense after an alleged racist attack. And now his lawyers want the state's stand-your-ground law to clear him. But is there a level playing field when it comes to race and that law? That's tonight's top story. The court has just ruled that Marcus Wilson will not be given immunity. Marcus Wilson is headed to trial for the murder of Haley Hutchinson.
5: He took a beautiful child from their sister. A the child did not deserve to get what she got.
0: A legal case that mounted during the summer of 2020 as racial reckoning erupted throughout the country.
6: Right next to Statesboro, we have the Ahmaud Aubrey case unarmed young black man jogging murdered uh, next door to Statesboro, we have Sylvania, Julian Lewis who was an unarmed 60 year old black man who was murdered at 1.6 seconds and we had to fight to get justice if you fear for your life either they want you to be unarmed and just go six feet under or they want you behind bars for the rest of your life no, justice. no peace no, justice. no peace you no
0: on the night of June 14th, Marcus Wilson visited his girlfriend, Emma, in Statesboro, Georgia, nearly three hours southeast of Atlanta. Their lives changed forever during a drive from Taco Bell. Uh, I remember saying no. I was scared. It's a very scary situation. A truck with five white teens, among them 17-year-old Hutchinson, began pursuing the young couple.
3: The guys in the truck were hanging out the windows, throwing hands on the boys
1: flipping them off and swerving at them. She
7: stated, oh, it kind of looked
8: like they were trying to run us off the road, but I don't know. To have Caucasian men hanging out of a truck, hollering racial slurs at him and his girlfriend. And then in the midst of this, to hear something hit his vehicle, um, he was terrified. His life was in jeopardy. Um, I can only imagine all
4: the things that went through his mind that evening. But he had to protect himself and his girlfriend.
1: Mark and his girl are visibly afraid of their life. And Mark fires on two separate occasions a series or volley of shots. Um, And and the evidence that has been presented thus far uh, demonstrates that it was a total of five shots.
0: Caught in the middle, Hutchinson was hit and later died from a gunshot wound. Three days after that night, Marcus Wilson turned himself into authorities, claiming self-defense.
1: We're very sympathetic with Haley's family, you know? I mean, she didn't deserve what happened, but neither did Mark. He didn't deserve to be put in the position for that to happen.
0: He remained in jail for more than 600 days with no bond.
6: The facts are, they were trying to run this man off the road. They were throwing things at his car. What we do know is this young man protected himself. We know that this young man is for his life. And, and we know that I would rather us be in trial fighting for Mark Wilson than us being at his funeral morning, Mark, like we did a mob.
0: The case presents an argument over stand your ground laws throughout the country, which is currently active in Georgia.
4: I don't
8: know what my pastor did, but I do not see it for him to do the same thing. We won't go until Mark comes home. In fact, that Mr. Wilson's anger
5: appears
8: to have overtaken him. for finds that the defendant poses a significant threat to persons in the community.
0: Back in February, the recusal of Judge Muldrew was ordered in the case, leaving many wondering if Marcus Wilson will receive a fair trial in a few weeks.
1: The fact that, you know, the law enforcement officer even took photos of the vehicle with the app open containers of alcohol in their car. And not one of them was even so much as cited for a single crime. And we've seen testimony and folks, you know, talking about drunk driving and how it is reckless and uh, indefensible. But we have sworn testimony as well as a written affidavit suggesting that they not committed not just one, but two, but three different offenses within the span of the incident that that took ultimately Haley Hutchinson's life. That's my cousin, you know? That's not my black cousin, that's my cousin. If the roles were reversed and that was a truckload of black people attacking a white person and just say, for instance, it was me, and I fired
7: off a shot, I don't think I would have been arrested.
0: Joining me to discuss the legal battle of Marcus Wilson are legal analyst Bernarda Villalona and former president of the NAACP Georgia chapter, Reverend James Major Woodall. Thank you both for joining us. Let's start with you, James. What makes Stand Your Ground cases like this one difficult to navigate?
1: Well, first, thank you for having me. Uh, When you think about Stand Your Ground, particularly here in Georgia, the way that uh, the statute is written, it is very difficult for one, for people who are not lawyers and legal experts to be able to understand what that actually means, but two, the standard of proof is not necessarily on the state to prove that a person is is uh, immune from prosecution, rather, it is actually the burden of the movement or the person who makes the motion to be able to grant immunity or be given immunity under Georgia's standard of ground law. And so when you think about, you know, Whether there are, you know, very exceptions within Georgia's rules around what a person can do, there's this question of a duty to retreat, and Georgia does not have a duty to retreat, and so that's one of the difficulties that we have because it literally legitimizes Uh, in some instances, racial violence. And so that's one of the things that we're taking up to really understand Mm -hmm. and investigate the impact that that law has.
0: And specifically in this case, the judge made a decision to not grant um, immunity. He says this does not meet the burden of proof for obtaining immunity. Let's break it down, Uh, Bernardo. Why do you think the judge made this decision?
9: So I think the judge made this decision because he had issues as to the facts in this case. He was very troubled with the fact that the victim or the complainant who was actually killed, she was shot from behind, meaning that the vehicle was in front of Mr. Wilson's vehicle. So he had a huge issue with that. But let's just be clear, even though the judge denied Mr. Wilson immunity, that does not mean that he won't be able to argue self-defense at trial. So it's a different standard and you're dealing with two different fact finders so
0: it's going to be a
9: different case when it's presented to the jury
0: one conversation that is also coming up is there's a comparison you know when we look at the um kyle rittenhouse case or george zimmerman or other high profile homicide cases claims of self-defense led to not guilty verdicts what do you think will happen in this case as we also view the landscape of those cases go ahead james
1: Well, one thing that you have to take into consideration is during the immunity hearing process under the new judge, um, there was not an autopsy presented in evidence. There was not a reenactment of the scene that was presented in evidence. And so when you you talk about the positions of the vehicle, it is very impossible for a person to be able to, uh, you know, make a determination based on testimony alone, which is exactly what was in the immunity hearing. And so we, we look forward to seeing all of the evidence come out, and in fact, you know, as the prosecutor should be given, you know, evidence over to the defense, we want to make sure that that process takes place because, mm-hmm. again, transparency in the legal process is a priority for us. But also, in addition, one of the things that the judge said, which was very interesting to me and to all of us who are advocating in this case, is that the judge said the, very, the first four shots that Mark shot from his firearm on that night were justified, and he was reasonable uh, in doing so. But it was the fifth shot, the one that ultimately landed in the head of uh, Miss Haley Hutchison was the one that was not justified and so and that the is, reason
0: why he said that was at that point according to the judge that vehicle was traveling in front of his car so it no longer presented danger from what the judge is saying that, are you correct. saying regardless of which shot it was that he should have still been granted immunity
1: well it's impossible again the the standard of proof is on the movement and the fact that there was not evidence presented before that judge to be able to make a determination otherwise I can understand why that judge would make that determination but ultimately, to the point of, once you get to a trial, that standard is different, it's a beyond a reasonable doubt, and it's gonna be before a jury of Mark's peers, and so we're gonna see a very different conversation moving forward.
0: And in this case specifically, James, um, what things are working for and against Marcus um, as the trial nears?
1: One of the things that is challenging is the system itself and how the system is playing out this legal process. I think from the in- onset of the investigation to You know, the indictment itself to the pretrial determination of whether or not this person will sit in detention for 600 and so days to a judge literally throwing the lead uh, attorney defense counsel into contempt of court, arresting him and and detaining him so that Mark would not have his his attorney of choice or his his, uh, uh, counsel of choice. And so even up until this point, we've seen a disintegration of the legal system that's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. You know, there has not been any uh, adjudication of any guilt, yet Mark is still having to go through these processes. Imagine if there were, there were no cameras, there were no like, eyes on this case, there were no support, no resources. Mark would end up like so many others in this system. He would be in jail still to this day and probably have already been convicted or accepted a plea deal. And so this is what we're dealing with and it's why we're advocating so hard for his behalf because this happens way too
8: often.
0: And that's exactly why we wanted to put more eyes on this case to report it here on Revolt Black News Weekly. Pre-trial hearing is scheduled for April 28th, and we will continue following it. James, Bernarda, thank you both for really discussing uh, stand-your-ground laws and really discussing the details of this case and where it goes from here.
7: This is the brain of a 14-year-old. So is this after smoking marijuana. If you use pot, you're not using your brain.
0: That is the powerful anti-drug ad from the 1989 warning against the use of marijuana. Welcome back. 33 years later, and we're still talking about pot, but this time it's about the fight to legalize marijuana nationwide. New proposed legislation passed in the House, and as it now sits in the Senate, will federal legalization finally
5: become a reality? Old-school people call it reefer. Sass, Buddha, bless.
4: Stank.
6: Weed. Marijuana.
0: No matter what you call it, there's no denying the strained relationship between cannabis and the law. And while 37 states in Washington, D.C. have passed laws to legalize it growing, selling, or smoking cannabis have been federally illegal since the 1930s.
6: Wow, what's mad this cat here? high.
7: Yeah. Ah! What do you mean he's high? Full weed. weed? Yeah.
0: Filmmaker and cannabis entrepreneur Fab Five Freddy explores the journey from pharmaceutical remedy to schedule one felony in his documentary Grass Is Greener.
6: There
7: were always
6: people involved in cannabis from the jazz era into the rock and roll era into the 60s and the anti-war movements. And so the cannabis has always been connected to the counterculture.
0: As marijuana use became more mainstream, Freddie says marijuana laws became
6: more stringent. This plant that was criminalizing people, primarily people of color. That's why America has so many people in its prisons. You'd be surprised at how many people are in there for non-violent cannabis possession or use, thrown in jail, lives ruined. This year, the legal
0: marijuana industry in the U.S. is expected to take in $30 billion. But while marijuana sales aren't slowing down, neither are the arrests. 24-year-old Georgia native Jose Valero.
7: My social media was open to the
4: public. So basically, like, you didn't have to be my friend to see what I was posting. I was posting, like, you know, pictures of, like, Bud, you know, maybe, like, a pre-roll or something like that. And, you know, just you know, just posting it, you know. And, and, and it just went from there.
0: Valero now faces eight years of jail time and a federal charge for possession of less than five pounds of cannabis.
4: I, I was just like, dude, really? For cannabis? You know, I, I just couldn't believe it and it's like you know because like you know you have big-time companies that do it all day long they advertise it all day long you know so i so I'm just did you know I, i'm still kind of you know have a
6: misunderstanding about like, like why
0: if passed the more act would remove marijuana from the list of scheduled substances and eliminate associated criminal penalties But advocates are calling on President Biden to fulfill his campaign promise and call the drug war to a cease.
6: Let's build back better. A lot of people got nonviolent cannabis charges on their record. That affects where you can live, what kind of jobs you can get. That's nonsense, money, because keep in mind, and I like to point this out, cannabis has killed no one. No one has died from cannabis use. From just normal alcohol usage, a hundred thousand people a year die. alcohol poisoning, et cetera, et cetera. Look it up.
0: And joining us right now to talk about this, we have recording artist and TV personality Supa Peach, her mother Starmie Rodriguez, financial expert Ash Cash, and Laniece Martin, co-founder and executive director of Hood Incubator, an organization that promotes cannabis justice and equity for black and brown communities in the legal cannabis industry. There are 36 other states plus uh, Washington, D.C. that has legalized uh, medical marijuana and then 10 states plus D.C. that have legalized recreational use. So we're seeing... you know changes happen on a state-to-state level ash cannabis is already a billion dollar industry in the u.s uh, you're a former ceo of a federal bank how would federal legalization impact the economy from your perspective
7: oh uh, yeah being able to um have you know cannabis uh, you know legalized from a federal perspective allows um for banking uh for loans uh, for deposits, you know, banking is a big barrier uh, for wealth. If you don't have access to capital, you can grow and scale your business by using debt, by using, you know, loans, by, you know, being able to uh, take take advantage of different programs that's available to every small business. Um, and so by not having that available to those who run cannabis businesses, they don't have access to capital, which is why we see such a disparity uh, between who actually owns uh, dispensaries and who are in the business, um, about only 4% of black and brown, uh, you know, individuals are able to even get into the business because of that that capital. And
0: with those economic disparities that you're talking about, Linise, I want to bring you in real quick, you know, within bridging that gap, where does information come from resources, education, access and opportunity within that field? I mean, he said 4%. That's really startling to hear.
2: We see in California that they have a loan and grants program. The state has a grant program, funnels money to to the local jurisdictions. Then they get it directly to the equity operators, the folks that are running the businesses. Um, but that could be a long process and it could, could have a lot of paperwork. Um, and again, if you're a drug war survivor that is now you know operating a very rigorous and compliant, heavy um, business, the application itself might be complicated in the way where it might make sense for you to pay $5,000, 10000 to a consultant to help you with that. And that's right there is a challenge. If you literally shouldn't write applications that would require someone to go out and, and need a business uh, uh, expense. So at the Hood Incubator, exactly what you said is right. We need to make sure that the education is happening, that folks know about this. We've taken it upon ourselves to, to fill in the gaps where we know the government um, isn't usually that amazing at community outreach and education. Um, so we need to step in and, and provide uh, support there.
0: Mm. and that breakdown is important you know as we're talking about this bill it's a two-parter in one aspect of it there it it talks about legalization in the other aspect of it it talks about um, expunging prior convictions now you've been outspoken about this super and your mother as well as we're talking about it logistically I want to humanize it and really bring your story in how has this impacted you and your family
4: well this whole situation is
0: heartbreaking because you know my brother gets sentenced in two weeks to go to prison when no one should be in prison over a plant it just don't even make sense mm-hmm. when the rich elites they doing the same thing he doing and they living free it just don't make sense when he's just trying to make sure his family eat and make ends meet mm-hmm. so i just think i just want everything to be right and one side doing it let the other side do it mm-hmm. and as a mother how does this impact you
2: oh definitely as a mother slash manager jose he was one of my road managers on the road with us um security road manager Name it. He did everything. He's doing everything to help us. So now that's a big gap. He's also a big brother. He's a single father of two kids. He's a single dad of two kids, and it's hard. It's really heartbreaking to know that this is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, my son um, admits his wrong, but at the same time, he's not saying that he have not admitted his wrong. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying is it's not fair. I'm not saying if it's a violent, but it's a non-violent. Eight plus years, and I'm really I like every night I'm crying. I want somebody to do something about it. I need it. somebody That's to do I mean. something about it. Biden need to do something about it now.
0: Thousands of families have been impacted by it. What are you hearing from families all over the United States as you're hearing their story as well?
2: It's sad because when we when we talk about families, we have to understand that you know when they passed these laws in the '70s, they understood that the family unit was the backbone of a community, and so. Um, if you pass a law for something that people were actively doing, knowing that a that good percentage of people will continue doing it, and then you're going to have to enforce it. So the drug war is more about enforcement, and it was all about breaking up families so that they could break up the power of, of what was the Black community and the white community that was against the war. So uh, when I hear uh, this story, um, it makes me think when people say, um, that the drug war failed, but then you hear Supa's um, s- story, it just shows you that the drug war didn't fail. The, the, the drug war did exactly what it's supposed to do because that family has been terrorized. Um, uh, a, a father was taken, a brother was taken, a leader in the community was taken, right? Yes, ma'am. He's been put in a, in a in an environment That is going to shape who he is. Not a lot of people can go into a container filled with toxicity and come out untoxic. It's the reason why you do the work.
0: And that gap is—it's—it's it's a tale of two stories, a tale of two impacts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Star, me, Supa, Ash, and uh, Lenice. Thank you all for chiming in on this discussion, and we will continue tracking down the legislation coming up. Monogamy or not, we tackled the revised way the culture is tackling relations. That's up next.
9: Monogamy never even seemed like a remote possibility. Doesn't it get confusing, (sighs) juggling all of them at the same time? I'm used to knowing what I want in relationships and in my art, but lately I'm just so confused.
0: The dilemma facing Nola, the central character in Spike Lee's Netflix series, She's Gotta Have It. Welcome back everyone. Tonight we have the spicy conversation about traditional marriage and the spike in non-monogamous relationships in the black community. Joining me for this conversation are doctor of psychology and therapist, spirit and influencers, Alex and Shalon Porter. Thank you all for joining us today. Alex and Shalon, let me start with you. What does it mean to have an open marriage?
4: An open marriage is individuals that are able to love in the way they want to be transparent, have that clarity and understand amongst each other of how they see love, relationships, and family.
0: And I actually agree with him. That's exactly on point. Do you think open marriages are shifting traditional beliefs on monogamy?
8: And if so, is it it for the
0: better or worse?
8: It's not shifting anything. When we talk about it, it really is more of an orientation. And what I will tell you is that for individuals who do this, because so many people look at this as an alternative when their relationships are bad, and I will tell you, absolutely do not get involved in a consensually non-monogamous relationship as an alternative to fixing the problems in your relationship. Because whatever was present before you stepped out and added extra partners, it is only going to magnify that when you bring new players in. So if you have issues around infidelity, security, trust, uh, jealousy, all of those things will only be magnified.
4: I fully agree. A lot of people come into this falling in love with the idea of probably that it's gonna fix their situation. And we tend to forget that if you come into a non-monogamous relationship, you're opening yourself up to individual multiple relationships. Even though there are so many partners you are dealing with, the moment we opened our relationship and then found ourselves in the situation of being a throuple, I realized trying to be with two women and communicating and finding that balance amongst those relationships took a lot more communication, a lot more vulnerability, a lot more honesty, a lot of acceptance, and it put you in a different place. When did
0: you both decide that an open marriage was for you?
4: It was um, so much a- a- after 17 years, we actually decided to go down that route and then see what, what we could explore out of it. You know, um, Shalon, she is bisexual also herself, so it also gave her to be expressive and see what see, see what works for her as well. Of course, it is difficult because you're coming into a terms of coming from a monogamous relationship that you've done for so long.
9: I love my husband. I love women. And if he's okay with me having another person in my relationship, your opinion's okay for you over there. This is what my love in my life says is okay for us.
0: When you and your partner decide to bring a new partner into your open marriage, how does that process work for you guys?
4: Of course you want to be transparent with each other and know that you're not doing it out of spite or just as an answer. Like I said, your relationship has to be stable. The foundation has to be stable because you're about to open something up into a new experience. And especially if you're unaware of it, you're going to hit certain triggers in yourself. (laughs) You don't know what's ever going to react from jealousy or security. And it could be chaotic be transparent that you are not taking nothing away or judging them for that. They are less than. They are still who they are, but you're just expanding and wanting more. You're trying to add value to your family. What they're telling
8: you is exactly what many people are doing. It's coming to the forefront for Mm. a lot of people who who otherwise had not heard of this type of lifestyle. So open relationships are just one form of consensual non-monogamy. You have swingers, you have monogamish, you have many different people who are living uh, as sexual minorities all across Across this country and to put it in some perspective for you it is roughly four to five percent of the population which is equivalent to the LGBTQAI plus community and so what we know is that there are many people who are consensually non-monogamous
0: is it a reality that one person can give you everything you need I'm talking emotionally sexually financially the reason why I bring this up is you know we also talked with DJ Envy and his wife uh, Gia. they've been married for decades and they say you know what for us one person is enough in all of those categories.
4: One person can give you that satisfaction. There is I am satisfied mentally, physically, financially. I have a brother, a sister, a best friend, a lover, mm. a mother, somebody that's patient. She's she's
6: my yin and yang.
5: I agree. I think yes. But um, For me, the point to drive home is that you have to be realistic in your expectations. I know a lot of people that are looking for perfection, and
8: perfection doesn't exist. Everyone is flawed. So, if you are realistic in your expectations, yes, you can find your quote unquote perfect person for you. That person can satisfy all of your needs.
4: You know, uh, I think it's Tyler Perry that said the 80 20 you know, 80% someone can give you, you're still gonna be missing that 20%. Me, I would depend on the individuals. You know, you can, whatever is for you and you find in a healthy way for you, you can possibly feel I could fulfill that 20% within myself or find it within those around me and I don't need another partner. So it really is how, how it depends for you. I think people look for people to check all those boxes, but we as humans
9: evolve. So that person who checked all those boxes at 22, at 32, they might not check all your boxes. So if they're still checking all those boxes at 32, that's your person, that, it, that's how you feel, that's how you feel. But things change throughout the years. It doesn't have to always be that that person is your person. You might be able to experience other people and bring them in and say, hey, this person, I thought I was for 13 years, but I just found out
0: I like this over here too. Spirit, is monogamy a forced concept?
8: Well, it's not that it's a forced concept, but it's an agreed upon concept. Mm. Monogamy didn't always exist. It's something that really, not until the 1920s, did we really start to get into monogamy. But if you look at many cultures across the world, going all the way back to even agricultural societies, it is not abnormal for us to have multiple partners. I love to ask Christians, well, if the marriage bed is undefiled, according to the scripture, if a husband and a wife are in agreement with what they're doing in their bedroom, are they really doing something that goes against their spiritual beliefs? And even in that, there's a lot of hypocrisy.
9: I've had many, plenty of people who who their religious beliefs actually we were not friends. They don't wanna to speak to me. They call me all types of names. Like I've even had people tell me I need to go be saved. I need to be rebaptized. baptized like, You you get the gambit of everything. I've been called
8: Satan. Because I'm going to tell you, some of my consensually non-monogamous clients are in the Word, are in the Scripture, are in the pulpits, are going to church every single Sunday with their thirds and their fourths and their children that are created in multiple different alternative lifestyles. So we have to really get honest about who it is that is doing this. This is not just some outlier, some uh, hidden group of people who are into wild orgies or swinging from chandeliers. These are your doctors, these are your lawyers, these are your teachers, these are your bankers. Most individuals who are into consensual non-monogamy are well-educated professional people. The research tells us that one in four individuals, one
1: in four What's up, Podcast Land? It's your boy C Diddy, one half of the Realist Podcast Summer. Are you tired of the same boring, unoriginal podcast that lack depth, originality, and substance? Well, I got a solution for you. Join us here every Monday and Thursday on Revolt Podcast Network for the Realist Podcast Summer, where we bring you the best in entertainment news, fashion, sports, music reviews, politics and street culture with a mixture of the most powerful guests that you're going to find anywhere on the internet join us every monday and thursday for the realest podcast ever
8: or will engage in some form of consensual non-monogamy at some point in their adult lifetimes so that means even though we are talking about it and we are judging people many of us are doing it and if it's not them then it's somebody that they know because one in four, well, look at how many of us are sitting right here.
4: And the idea of it, right? Uh, The idea of it, when you speak of infidelity and the religious people talk about it, they'll sit there and say, you know, let's pray on it and we can move forward on it. But the idea of saying, I don't need to consider this person as my side piece or mistress or anything like that. This is actually someone I'm taking on as a wife and creating a family behind this. It's instantly like, wait, that doesn't make no sense. So you get attacked behind it.
0: Is it possible to romantically love many if you haven't mastered loving one person?
9: It's impossible to romantically love many if you haven't learned to love yourself. That part. (laughs) <laughs> well, and let's
8: remember this, too. Not everyone goes into open relationships or consensually non-monogamous, whether it's poly, whether it's swinging, etc. all for the same reasons. Some people are looking for sexual uh, excitement and in the form of recreation. Some people are looking for friendship. Some people are looking for uh, companionship. Some people are looking to have particular experiences or play out fantasies. Everyone is not doing it for the same reasons. And so that's why every single relationship is just as unique as a fingerprint and it's important that that couple is on the same page. Every relationship needs to have its own rules, its own agreements, from engagement to what's acceptable in those encounters to what we will do if ever one or both of us decide that this lifestyle is no longer for us. But the key in all of it is effective communication, that transparency that your guests are talking about, and to never stop talking. Shalon, Alex, and Spirit, thank you all for
0: being here and chiming in on this topic. Up next, Kennedy Rue has all the headlines, including why folks are going bonkers for Bridgerton in the entertainment remix that's when we come back welcome back everyone time to check the entertainment beat and our very own Kennedy Rue is here and she has her finger on the pulse of all the major headlines hey Kennedy
3: hey Naima yes a lot going on including Bridgerton's record-breaking viewership on Netflix but first Jussie Smollett's new song to declare his innocence is what tops the entertainment remix
1: Jesse's career will be absolutely fine. He, this is, this, in the long run, look, my brother is one of those talented, creative, intelligent individuals this world has ever known. And that is a fact.
3: Spoken like a true home? brother supporting his sibling. So Jesse, and Jesse's Jesse, brother, Jockey, to to was on to something. Jesse, how does it feel to be free? Smollett is out of jail pending the appeal to overturn his five-year sentence. The former Empire star was found guilty of lying to Chicago police about an alleged racist and homophobic attack. Out of the cell the and into the recording studio, Jesse dropped a new song titled Thank You God where he directly addresses his court case.
6: people chasing their clout. Just remember this. This ain't that situation. Don't think I'm stupid enough
4: to keep my reputation? He
3: dedicated the track to people who kept it real, who kept it true. The actor reportedly will be donating profits to various organizations, including the Rainbow Push Coalition, the Human and Civil Rights
5: Organization.
3: Netflix is setting records for your ratings.
5: I know, it's crazy. Coming back with season two, with the expectation, um, I think there was some sort of feeling that you have... It's like second album syndrome, I think. People are a bit like... Is this going to go again? Your Majesty, may I present Miss Kate Sharma and Edwina Sharma. Boy did it.
3: And that from Lady Danbury herself, actress Adwoa Andu. Viewers are drawn to the 1800 period rom-com that reflects diversity, especially Britain's royal court featuring a black queen Charlotte, which is not far off the historical
5: books. What I love is it provokes the questions that says, why is the queen of color? That's not real. And you want to go, yes, it is real. When she came to England to marry George III, there were complaints about her mulatto skin, her wide nose and her thick lips. And people were in uproar that she was going to be the queen. A queen
3: steeped in real history, from a queen of storytelling. After all, this is Shondaland.
8: I think people want to be entertained. I think the joy of getting to watch a good program and be entertained and have something like Bridgerton to
5: sit down to and escape with is important.
3: We hear there's a spin-off for Queen Charlotte.
5: You are correct. Um, It's called, it is called Queen Charlotte. Um, I'm so glad to be able to talk about it now. Um, It's a sort of origin story and Shonda herself is writing this one. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so we're all really excited about that. You're going to see a young Queen Charlotte. You're gonna see a young Lady Danbury. You're gonna see a young Lady Violet. And you're gonna see how the women you see before you in the main body of the Bridgerton series came to be.
3: And Bridgerton shows little signs of slowing as the ratings continue to soar, capitalizing on the over 251 million sets of eyes when season two premiered.
5: It's real. (gasps) What? Lately, I've been working on manifesting my dreams, so when a guy in front of me ordering lunch had a Lakers lanyard on, I started talking ball with him. And today is the day he finally came through. Our baby! that's a job what <gasps> we gotta celebrate we should yes. we should make your favorite meal
1: no no it's a crazy experience that i can say I was able to be a part of
3: Jack gets a job. Miles Brown, who stars as the youngest Johnson son, is all grown up.
1: And just uh, such a, so many things I've learned from from growing up on this show.
3: After eight highly acclaimed seasons in nine years, we are in the countdown mode to the Blackish finale.
1: You can relate to so many things that we talk about.
3: Producer Courtney Lilly and Miles joined us to talk about their remarkable journey and the future of the Johnson family as a lead up to that farewell episode.
7: It's not a. Farewell. It's just like you know, until I see you again.
3: And fresh off their Saturday Night Live performance, Willow Smith teams up with Camila Cabello on the newly released single "Psycho Freak." The edgy new single has become a hit with fans. It's off Camila's new album *Familia*, which is out now. And since the slap seen and heard around the world, Jada hit the red carpet to support power producer Shonda Rhimes along with Debbie Allen at the opening of Shonda's performing arts center in Los Angeles.
0: Thank you so much for that report, Kennedy. All right, when we come back, we shine the spotlight on our revolutionary of the week. Stick around. Welcome back, time to shine the light on one
3: Atlanta man who's living up to the legacy of his namesake. Booker T. Washington is the first African American to successfully build a tiny home community at a time when housing has become a crisis. Now the community will launch this fall. Mr. Washington is a man on a mission
0: which makes him our revolutionary of the week. Modern design, solar power, and smart home technology. These futuristic homes aren't in Silicon Valley. They're built in College Park, a largely African-American community just south of Metro Atlanta.
10: These homes will be able to give people luxury finishes or close to modern finishes. But because of the size, we're able to afford those types of finishes, they're going to be getting uh, some sustainable home solutions like solar panels or solar shingles, as well as smart home entry, video, and remote Wi-Fi access to their homes. Uh, Homeowners are going to get access to online uh, financial literacy education through an embedded uh, tablet.
0: Booker T. Washington. No, not that Booker T. Washington. This one and his company, Techie Homes, makes him the first African-American to successfully create a tiny home community.
10: I am named after uh, Booker Tellafero Washington. So yes, my name is Booker Tellafero Washington. I am not related. I was actually born uh, on campus at Tuskegee Institute.
0: Getting your hands on one of these properties is not easy. South Park Cottages sold out for $5.9 million in just 50 days. These have historic high-tech homes are completely crowdfunded and Black invested.
10: It wasn't just about price and affordability. A lot of people were choosing tiny homes because of its flexibility, because of its uh, sustainability to the environment, the ways it allowed families to live a more abundant life by not spending as much money on their primary residence.
0: According to the U.S. Census Bureau, in 2020, 44.1% of Black Americans own their homes compared to 74.5% of white counterparts. Washington's mission to disrupt home buying in major urban markets.
10: The area that I grew up in, only 15% of that whole section of that South Fulton County area is homeowners. You can talk about almost any urban community, any town in the USA, And it's affecting african americans all in the same way the urban areas is where the major developers see the biggest amount of money they can make so it systematically squeezes people out where now the medium home price in atlanta is 400,000. Five years ago the medium home price in Atlanta was 225. I wanted to do something residentially and, and build in that community uh, without having to squeeze and move people out That gives them a chance at home ownership at that price of between 180 and, and, and the mid200s.
0: Washington has no signs of slowing down, righting the wrongs of so many systemic issues.
10: But Atlanta as a whole has transitioned so much in real estate um, that it's amazing that it hasn't matriculated down to the areas of town that need the most development. The roads are still in need of infrastructure and development. Uh, there are still rundown apartments and rental communities for which we try to claim as affordable housing. And that is, that is a, a moral issue for me.
0: Booker T. Washington, we salute you for making
3: a difference in the culture. That does it for us. We'll see you next time. Bye everyone. Bye y'all.
7: everyone my name is Odessa and you are
9: in tune to Reasonings with Odessa now if you are looking for something that is going to give you all access to Caribbean and African pop culture this podcast is for you Reasonings with Odessa is brought to you exclusively by
7: Revolt Podcast Network anchored in hip-hop and powered by creators